let's take a seat. How are we doing tonight? I love Sunday nights, man. People who don't come on Sunday night have no idea what they're missing, but Sunday nights is the place to be. It just keeps getting better and better and better. And man, what a strong presence of God already tonight, hey? It was good, and uh, man, I just feel like God has something for someone in here tonight. Actually, I know that God has something for everyone in here tonight. And I just wanna ask every single person to lean in. There is a word for you in season. There is a word to encourage you, inspire you, to challenge you, to breathe hope where maybe there is hopelessness, to breathe life where maybe there's some death. But I know that tonight, God is gonna breathe perhaps new life, new fire, new faith, new vision, new perspective as he takes care of some chains that maybe been binding you and that you don't even know about. But before we go further, let's give it up for the worship team and thank them for their commitment, for their hard work. It's awesome. Hey, and so I get to speak maybe a few times a year and I love the opportunity. I hate the preparation parts. Very, a lot of hard work, a lot of praying, a lot of Holy Spirit, please give me a word. It's a lot of people to get up on stage in front of and say nothing to. And so uh, there's a lot of relying on the Holy Spirit. And, um, but this is the best part is when you get to share the word that God so sealed in your heart for his people. Um, but I always love to tell the church a little bit about me, a little bit of my personality. So you hear about Anthony. And he's on a regular basis and his little witty stuff. And, and so there's a little bit more to me than just Pastor Anthony's wife who sits in the front and worships Jesus and taps sometimes during worship. And I have an obsession. And I know as Christians, we should be very careful with our obsessions, but I love law and order. And unfortunately, because I love law and order, I have become a little bit paranoid um, when it comes to walking on the street in public. Or yes, if you're getting baptized, sorry, your class is now. Uh, sorry about that. Um, you, can get, you can get ready to go. If you weren't sure about baptism and you want to actually obey the command of Scripture, now's your opportunity. You can go there now and go to that class. But coming back to law and order. Um, so, yeah, I have this thing. And I'm not proud of it. I'm waiting for the Lord to set me free of it. But uh, when I walk down the street, if someone's a little bit too close, I'm convinced they're going to kidnap me or murder me. Um, I'm also convinced if my husband ever goes away to preach somewhere and he's away out of town for a few days, I always have to have someone come and babysit, not the kids, but babysit me, because I am so confident that someone's going to come in through that door and kill me or kidnap me or do something along those lines, because law and order has seared that into my brain, that bad things happen every day, and they do, unfortunately, but I'm the next person for some reason. And so for a very long time, I made my husband keep a bat or a really big stick underneath our bed. And um, you know that saying that apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Well, my son has adapted a similar uh, mindset. He now keeps a bat. Let's see the picture, guys, if we still have it. Yeah, above his bed. So uh, he's like, Mommy, he's just a little bit smarter than Mommy. See, Mommy keeps it under the bed. I don't keep it under the bed anymore. I've been set free that much so far. But uh, he thinks it's quicker to pull it off the wall so that if someone comes by to take Mommy, he can take him out. So that's Ben. He's seven. Shelly will be five in about two weeks. I can't believe it. And my little 11-month-old will be a year old in a few weeks as well. And so that's pretty awesome. But let me tell you something about when you keep a bat underneath the bed. See, you always hope that it's there for your comfort, right? If I need to use it, I'll use it. But you hope that you're never going to have to use it. Um, however, numerous years ago, we actually had to pull it out from underneath our bed. And I'll tell you really quickly. Well, I'm a female. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be quickly. I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm going to try to tell you a quick version of this story. So, boys, bear with the details, okay? Girls, I know you'll track with me. So, anyway, at that time a few years ago, our worship team thought it was a very appropriate, although inappropriate, thing to do to constantly, and by constantly, I mean constantly prank Pastor Anthony and I. So at one point, one of the boys, Raphael, who now lives in Vermont, and we miss him very much, he calls me. He's running late to rehearsal, and I'm wondering where he is. And the phone rings. I answer. He's like, Miriam, I'm, I'm in trouble. I got, I, got, I got arrested. I'm in jail. I'm like, oh, my. I'm on stage, and I'm freaking out. I start to lose it, start crying. I'm like, guys, I have to go. I have to go get Raphael. I, I don't even know which jail. He didn't even tell me. And I'm like running out the door. It wasn't here. It was at another church we were at, another uh, building we were at before here. And I start running out, and there's Ralph, 
on the side of the door laughing at me, totally pranked me. Another one, they stole the furniture out of the front porch of my house, set it up in, in our back patio, no, our front patio somewhere. I was eight months pregnant, about to kill them. But this one, this one tops them all. So one day my husband calls me. He had left for work two hours prior. And he says, honey, I forgot to tell you this this morning, but when I walked out of the house, there was chicken hanging from our awning, from our car, from our gates. Anywhere that I had to touch my hand, there was chicken hanging from red string. I'm like, there was chicken hanging from red string. He's like, yes. I was like, well, let me call the worship team to see if they have something to do with this. So I call Ralph, because at the time he was the, the troublemaker. I'm like, Ralph did you come to my house and put chicken on string around my house? He's like, Mira, now why would I do something like that? I'm like, good question. Is the answer no? Do not lie to me. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, okay. So we hang up the phone. I call my friend who's a police officer in Kearney. That's where we lived at the time. And I'm like, Adriano, um, this is what happened. He's like, Miriam, that's witchcraft. I'm warning you right now. Carney is huge on witchcraft. They don't like pastors. And I'm like, I knew it. The devil is furious with us. I knew it. The devil is angry because we're doing something for the kingdom of God, but he's got nothing on us, you know? So I call my mom. We call my mother-in-law from Australia, like a major prayer warrior. Every pastor we knew, every church we knew, we're like, pray for us. Play the blood of Jesus for us because the enemy is furious. He's got his witches, his minions running out, trying to get us down, but he will not withstand us, right? So anyway, the long day, I'm not going to lie, I was standing in faith, but I was a little bit scared. You know, a few hours later, it's 10 o'clock at night, Anthony's working on his message, and I'm standing there. No, I'm sitting there watching something, being less spiritual than he was. He was there praying, working on his Bible thing. I'm there watching Law and Order, probably. And so all of a sudden, 10 o'clock, the power goes out. I looked at Anthony, and I was like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, they're back, you know? But then, like, two minutes later, Anthony gets up, the power goes back on. It was a fluke. It's 2 o'clock in the morning now, people. All of a sudden, our car alarm goes off. I look at Ant. He's sleeping and snoring like a good man does. And then our dog, our dog starts growling. I don't know if anyone remembers our dog, Diva, Chocolate Lab. Some of you guys remember the sweetest thing ever. She never growled, starts growling. I'm like, oh, they're definitely back. Oh, Satan, you have no idea what you're about to get yourself into. So I say he's about to get ugly right here. I'm like, Anthony, wake up. Get the bathroom underneath the bed and go kick some butt right now, you know? And he's like, oh. I'm like, yeah, they're back. The witches are back, and they're going to try to get us, but they're not going to get us. And he's like, okay. So he gets to bat half asleep, and he goes down the stairs. And I'm like, I'll be interceding for you as I'm under the covers, okay? So I'm under the covers, and I'm like, in the name of Jesus. And I have 911 ready to press send on my phone. And one minute goes by. Good. No news. Problem, no problem, great, excellent. Two minutes, three minutes go by, nothing. Four minutes, five minutes, six minutes go by, I'm starting to freak out. They kidnapped my husband, something bad has gone down, and now I don't know what to do but call 911. Called 911, and it was, I would have loved to have had a recording of this, because I probably sounded like some lunatic. I was like, hi, you don't know me, I called earlier today, and I had two detectives come to my house because there's witchcraft happening, we're pastors, they hate us, can you come here? I think they're here, it's two o'clock, my husband's been gone for 10 minutes, I don't know what's going on, they probably kidnapped him. And the guy, the cop, I don't remember. I just was like, all right, ma'am, we'll be there soon. And something like that. I was like, they don't understand the situation here. We're not dealing with flesh and blood. We are dealing with the prince of power here. You know, I'm thinking all this. And, and Anthony's still gone. Two minutes later, here comes Anthony. Bat or stick in hand, whatever it was. I was like, where have you been? I called the police. He's like, oh, yeah, about that. I, I had to go to the bathroom. I was like... You were in the bathroom for 10 minutes? Were you reading a good book or something? You know, I'm calling your name. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, so I just went to the bathroom. Oh, and all of a sudden, the police get there. It was just great. There was no one there. Anyway, morning, we find out it was the worship team. They just freaked out because they didn't think we were going to take it to witchcraft. And so they were like, this thing got blown out of proportion. They're going to, like, I don't know, excommunicate us from the church. And so we have to come up with some plan. It was a long, hilarious story. We got them back so bad. That's a story for another day. But anyway, don't mess with your pastors. We will get you back so bad. Oh, my, I can't wait to tell that story next time. But anyway, so you're laughing at us and you're thinking all this stuff. But what would you do if you thought someone was breaking into your house? What would you do if you knew that someone was trying to break in, trying to rob you of the life that Jesus died to give you? Could there be an enemy lurking around waiting to wreak havoc on your mind, on your heart, on your purpose? And before we go further, we're going to pray and we're going to talk a little bit and we're going to break open this passage and we're going to tear it apart today because we're going to learn what it means to be behind enemy lies. 
And tonight, we're going to expose some lies that the enemy would love to have you believe. And unfortunately, so many of us are believing those lies, and we think we're slightly free, but the reality is Jesus came to give us true freedom. And so often, we don't even know what true freedom looks like because we're slightly bound and not really experiencing what that freedom should be. So we're going to break that up in a moment. So if you're taking notes, today's title is Behind Enemy Lines. I'm sorry, Behind Enemy Lies. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. God, we thank you so much that you have given us your word to stand on. You have given us your promises to stand on. Thank you, God, so much that you've forgiven us. And Lord, your grace, like that song said, washes over me. Father, I thank you so much for that grace, for your mercy that is new every morning. And I pray right now for every son and daughter. Lord, I pray that this word would just so help them, encourage them, inspire them. And Lord, breathe change where needs to be change. Break chains where chains need to come off in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And a church of lies says, amen. amen. We're going to go to judges. We're going to do some Bible reading tonight. Is that okay? All right, so I need you guys to pretend you're in school for the next five minutes as we go into Judges, and we're going to read a little bit about this powerful woman. And if you're a guy in here, don't disconnect. You're going to love this story. It's brutal. It's got blood. It's got guts. You're going to love it, all right? So let's go into it. So don't think it's girly. It's actually very violent, which is kind of cool. So anyway, chapter 4, verse 1 of Judges, a little bit of context for you. Um, back in the day before God appointed kings to the people of Israel, he appointed judges. Um, see, the people of Israel were constantly acting up. They were constantly screwing up. And so God kept to having to send someone new their way and all that stuff. And so this time around, he sent Deborah. But before we get there, let's look at verse 1. After Ehud, Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. Can you repeat that after me? Sisera? Who lived in double H. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Say ruthlessly oppressed. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. We're going to skip. I'll tell you a little bit about context from verse 4 all the way to 11. What's going to happen here is God appoints Deborah. She's the prophetess of the time. Yes, a female leader. God used her to speak God's word. God used her to minister his truth. Okay, so God uses both male and female to bring forth his truth as long as you're a vessel open to be used by God. And so God used Deborah, a prophetess and a judge of that nation. And she, he said to Deborah, Deborah, go tell your, your uh, commander of your army, that I'm going to give King Jabin's army into their hands. You're going to beat these guys. You're going to take over. You guys have won. The battle is yours. And she's like, all right. So Deborah, as a good prophetess, she went and delivered the message from God. Barak was like, uh, are you sure? You're coming with me, Deborah. Deborah's like, dude, I just told you. God said to go. You're going to win. He still argued with her. She came along anyway. And now we pick up verse 11. Ready? Now Heber, the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe. Repeat that with me. Moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the Oak of Z near Kadesh. If you haven't picked it up, if I don't know how to pronounce the word, I just say the first letter of it, okay? All right. So then verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Verse 15. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down. So Sisera's the bad guy. Leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Verse 17. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Hebert. Remember the guy who had his tent by himself? So Jael is his wife, so they had their tent away from the community. Um, uh, so meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because Heber's family, listen to this, was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Say, was on friendly terms. Then Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. 
But when sister fell asleep from exhaustion, JL quietly crept up to him. Guys, this is, you're gonna love it. Okay, JL quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove that bad boy through his temple and into the ground and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and she said, come and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera laying there dead with the tent peg through the temple. Whoa. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. A couple of things I want us to think about in this passage, a lot to chew there. There was so much meat in that message. I was like, wow, which point do I want to talk about the most? But the first thing I want us to look at is Sisera ruthlessly oppressed the people of Israel, the people of God. He was ruthless in his oppression and his attack on the people of Israel for 20 years. The second thing I want us to look at is that Sisera saw that Jael's tent was alone. The enemy saw all of Israel, all their tribes set up here, but there was this one isolated tent over there. He's like, let me go check out who's over there. Maybe I know who they are. And all of a sudden he goes and he's like, oh, this guy's friendly with my king. We're on friendly terms. He was stand up. Jael's tent was in essence standing alone, not in community. The third thing I want us to look at was Jael's husband was on friendly terms with Sisera, the enemy. Fourth thing, something happens between verse 20 and 21. We don't know what happened to Jael. We don't know if her intention when she saw the enemy lurking around her tent and she recognized it was someone she knew. She didn't know if her plan all along was to take him in and take him out or if she had a moment of confusion wait a second, I know that guy. Should I honor my husband by taking him in and taking care of this guy? Or, you know, or, or, or maybe I shouldn't, but we don't know. All we know is she brought him in and after a few moments, she took him out. And after JL came to terms with reality, you have to understand something she did. She took ownership of her home. And even though her husband was on friendly terms with this enemy, she had to realize that not everything that looks harmless, not everything that we could be friends with, not everything that can look friendly, not everything that might look handsome ladies, not everything that might look pretty boys is actually harmless, could actually be friendly. You see, the same way that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, they said, look, God created the apple. How bad could it be? God created it. Wouldn't it be good? Well, look at the apple. It's so shiny. smells so good. I'm sure it tastes great. It'll be good for you. It's healthy. But you see, not everything that is good is God. Not everything that God gives us is for us in any season. There's some things that are good, but not in the season you're in. You must wait. Not everything that we watch on TV could be good for us. And sometimes we have this mentality that everything goes, grace. Actually, no. God sets standards for us for your protection, to, for you to flourish, for you to thrive. And when we come outside of that promise of God, when we come outside of those standards of protection, you put yourself in danger's way. And that's what happened here. JL's tent was standing alone, isolated. And so the enemy came lurking about trying to hide but really what would happen is suddenly other people from his army would recognize that they were taking refuge in that home. And before you know it, her home, which should be a safe ground, becomes a battleground. And how often we have our souls and we have our minds and this should be a place where the peace of God reigns, where we're worshiping. And suddenly our very minds, our very souls are becoming battlegrounds. How many times do we have battles in our minds? How many times do we have battles in our soul? And the reality is it is our responsibility to take ownership of our spirit, to take ownership of our mind, to take ownership of what the Lord has entrusted us for. And just because something looks friendly doesn't mean it is friendly. Just because something looks harmless, it doesn't mean it in actual fact is harmless. 
The enemy is a liar and he wants to take you out. The enemy is the father of lies and it is his number one assignment. And the one thing he's the greatest thing at doing is lying to you. And he'll lie to you in many ways. He'll lie to you subtly. He'll lie to you in a pretty way. He'll lie to you in a very aggressive way. Whatever he can do to make you believe a lie. And he'll sit there and he'll pester. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're worth it. Don't worry. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. And you just let it sit and you let him play that broken record over. And instead of dealing with it, you're letting him pester you and pester you. And the reality is we need to take responsibility for what is pestering us, what is lurking around our tents. And I want us to think for a moment, is there something lurking about trying to rob you of the life that Jesus died to give you? Every single person, let me tell you, I am so confident, every single one of us, there is something the enemy is trying to distract us, disarm us, whatever he's trying to do, there's something, some lie he's trying to get us to believe. You might not even recognize it, but he is. I don't know what he's lying to you about. And I don't know if you're entertaining that lie or if you're dealing with it, but the reality is every single one of us, because he's ugly and he's nasty and because he's horrendous, he's constantly yeah, yeah, like a nag. Don't call your wife a nag. The devil's a nag, all right? Nah, 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 like that, nagging. And that's the devil's job, to try to destroy you, to isolate you, to disable you, to disarm you, to destroy you. And actually, if we think about war for a moment, and we think about what it means to be behind enemy lines. It basically means to be on enemy territory. But behind enemy lines can also mean when your territory, your safe zone, gets overtaken by the enemy. You see, my house is my house, but suddenly, if I have a bunch of people coming in with guns and knives or whatever to take me out like they do in law and order, then suddenly my safe zone becomes a battle zone and it's no longer my home. The enemy has taken over. And if we're not careful, our minds, our souls, our destiny, our purpose, if we're not careful to disarm the lies of the enemy, it can be taken over by the enemy, the father of lies. Sometimes we give the devil, I don't know, sometimes we think, oh, no, they can't touch me. I'm, I'm God's daughter or I'm God's son. This is true. However, you can give the devil license to do whatever he wants if you open the door of sin. Sin is real, people. And if we open the door to sin, you're basically saying, hey, come on in. If you don't open that door, you're fine. But if you open that door, if you open different opportunities for him to come and wreak havoc, he will. He will. Another thing I want us to look, like, look at when it comes to war and, and how countries basically have strategies, etc., is those four things I just mentioned. Both countries or both um, opposing partners, whatever it is, whoever's going at war. I'm not good at war terms, so just bear with me. They all have similar strategies. It's basically to isolate. It's basically to disable the other troops or the other army, to disarm the other army, to destroy the other army. But I want to reassure you of this. Even though this is our enemy's goal to us, our enemy's goal is to isolate us, disable us, disarm us, destroy us. But do you know what? It's actually our goal to do the same to him. It is actually our goal to just isolate him, isolate those lies. Wait a second. This little thing over here, that's a lie. Booyah, get out. Oh, right here? Yeah, no. Isolate that. Call it what it is. Deal with it. Don't let it just sit there around different things. Sometimes we're in church environment and connect groups. We're surrounded by so many things, and we let the lies filter in, right? We kind of let it come. We let little things come in within everything that we're doing, and it's suddenly it's like a big salad. It's all mixed in there. No, no, no. Take that bad tomato out of the salad and throw it out. Because so often we get mixed up, and we think that everything that looks good is good, but it's not good. How gross is it when you taste a nasty tomato in your salad? It ruins your entire salad. Anyway, but the same way that the enemy's goal is to isolate, disable, disarm, destroy us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, it is our responsibility to isolate, to disable, to disarm the works of the enemy and to destroy the works of the enemy. You know, as I mentioned before, the father of lies is Satan. John 8, 44 tells us that. But I want to tell you this, and I want to reassure you this. It's not to make anyone afraid. Actually, the fact that he's a liar means nothing to us. Because a lie only becomes powerful if you believe it. The lie only becomes powerful if you entertain it. But the same goes true for the opposite. 
The promises of God are for us. The word of God is there for us. There is so much treasure in this word. There is so much that says who you are, whose you are, why you were created. Everything you need from start to finish is in this book to help you journey this life. But you know what the problem is? It only becomes powerful if you believe it, if you apply it, and if you know it. If you don't know it, what's the point? Anthony says this on a regular basis. If someone gives you a million dollars, but you don't really know it's worth, you're not going to go cash it. You have a million dollars sitting in your home, but you don't, take, you don't understand the value of it, so you actually never cash it. Cash it, baby. The promises of God's word is worth way more than a million dollars. Cash it. Cash it. What are the lies that you have been believing? The reality is, we get behind enemy lines when we believe enemy lies. We get behind enemy lines when we believe enemy lies. What are some of those lies that you're believing right now? Maybe the enemy is being a turd and he's telling you, you're not a good enough mom. <laughs> Sorry, that just comes out. I say that to my kids. Don't be a turd. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's graphic for some of you. When you're a mother, none of that stuff is graphic anymore. You know? You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough wife. You're not a good enough dad or husband. Maybe you're a single mom in here and you feel like you could barely make it. And he, the devil's telling you, you can't make it. Your kids look at you and they think you're a failure or blah, 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 blah. And you're actually, your kids think you're a superhero because you're doing it alone. But the enemy would tell you you're not. I want to tell all the single moms in here, you're heroes. All the single dads in here, you're heroes. The devil would tell you you're not a good enough Christian. Man, none of us are. We all need the grace of God. We all need his mercies renewed every morning in our lives. That's just basic knowledge right there. I'm not even going to tell you the story I told this morning about something stupid I did in the airplane. Maybe I'll tell you later. But anyway, I'm not trying to say that you don't strive to become greater. I'm not trying to say that if you feel like a bad mom, you shouldn't actually maybe do a few things to become better. The reality is we should always be growing. We should always be trying to become greater and greater. I always want to be a better mom, a better wife, a better Christian, a better pastor, whatever it is. So we don't sit in mediocrity. But the devil would like to keep us so disabled in our thinking that we're not good enough. And when we become disabled, disabled in our thinking, what happens is it demobilizes us. Oh, I'm a victim. Oh, I'm not good enough. I might as well not do anything anyway. I'm not disciplined that way. I'm not wired that way, so I'm not going to try it. And that's what he'll have you do. He'll have you stay in a victim mentality, have you stuck, thinking that you're not good enough, thinking that you'll never change. And all of a sudden, he's got you exactly where he wants you, disarmed and basically staying immobile. And that's where he would have you be. But the problem is this. If you don't know the word of God, as these lies come, because they're going to come, and sometimes they're going to come like, phew, 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 and sometimes they're going to be occasional. But if you're not so familiar, and this isn't to put anyone down, this isn't to encourage you, get good at being in the word. Get a Bible app or do whatever you need to do. Get, get on some kind of a plan to learn the word of God so that when these lies come, a red flag can come up and say, uh-oh, red alert, red alert, lie, red alert, red alert. Lie, red alert, red alert, do not believe that. Enemy lie, enemy lie, be careful, you'll get on enemy territory. And the only way we could do that, the only way we can identify with an enemy lie is if we actually know what God's word says for us. And it's a journey, it will take time. I'm not trying to say you need to know the word by like tomorrow, all of it, or else you're like the devil's gonna take you out. I'm not saying that. I'm saying get on the journey to know what God says for you because he is for you and not against you. You know, you might be thinking, Pastor Miriam, I have one lie I've been dealing with, or I have a hundred lies I've been dealing with, and I never realized it before, but I feel stuck in my mindset, or I feel stuck with this attitude. I feel stuck with this, like, up and down. I never know if I'm in or I'm out. I, I just feel stuck, and maybe you feel in that kind of a prison, and that's the kind of prison our enemy wants us in. You might be thinking, my marriage feels like a prison. My thoughts have me prisoner, so I can't have a faith outlook. My fears have me prisoner. My insecurity has me prisoner, and what are the lies that have arrested you? What are the lies? You know, culture is constantly throwing lies at us. Like, it's okay, you gotta try before you buy. And I'm talking about sexual purity in relationships. Ooh, I talked about it, yes, it's true. It is, so what? Everyone is doing it, but the Bible has laid out his standards to protect you. 
He has laid out his standards so that you would have a blessed marriage. They'll say, oh, you know, um, live together for a while before you get married. Not to condemn anyone if that's what you've done or doing. I'm just saying the stats are not in your favor if you live together before getting married. It's against God's word in the world. Statistics will tell you, bad idea. You're basically training your mindset to, to be okay. If it doesn't work out, we break up. You're basically saying when you get married, if it doesn't work out, we get a divorce. You're training your heart, your mindset that you're trying it, but if it doesn't work, we'll leave. And that's what basically divorce is. And that's what living together before marriage does. And so culture will constantly be lying to us and will constantly be subtly telling us that this is okay and that is okay. And suddenly it starts creeping in our mind and we become tolerant to everything and we love everyone. But we have to be careful about what we believe. Because what we believe is what is powerful. And what we allow and what we, what we allow to infiltrate our thinking actually can very much harm us. To the person next to you, what lies have you believed? You know, I want to take us back to JL for a moment. And I love that she didn't just deal lightly with the enemy. I love that she didn't just go there and just grab the hammer peg. Max, let me borrow your head for a second. And she didn't just go, no, she went, oh, you know what I mean? That would have been awesome if you did it to him. But anyway, but anyway, sorry. But uh, she didn't just go, click, click. I mean, she went to town on that poor guy's head. And she didn't take it lightly. She destroyed it with lots of gusto. I mean, she went all out. She had oomph in that. You know what I mean? And so, and that is what we need to look at. She knew how ruthless he was. And she knew she had to destroy the enemy. You know, sometimes the devil will have us in a prison without us even recognizing it. Because there's something about a prison. If you look at um, our society and the way our prisoners are, they still have some quality of life. You know, in prison, you can still have three meals plus your snacks, I think. You can have your gym time, your lifting time, your friend time, your, your reading time, your whatever. There's so much you can do. It's a different world in the prison. And so there's a sense of freedom. And after you're there for a while, you don't even realize what you can't do. You don't even realize, you know, okay, so yeah. So you're, you're, you're bound, obviously. You're in prison, obviously, but you still have some freedom. And that's what the devil loves to do with Christians. See, you have a level of freedom. So many of us talk about the freedom we have in Christ. But we actually, if we were to examine ourselves, how many Christians are still living bound to lies? How many Christians are still not fully delivered from things? How many Christians are still limping because maybe one of their legs are, are chained to something or maybe their hands are chained to something? You know, I'm going to have Ephraim um, come over. And I'll tell you something about being cuffed, being bound a little bit. The interesting about being bound by handcuffs is if I get an itch in my nose, I can still itch. If I get an itch in my head, I could still itch. If I get a wedgie, I might not be able to pick it. But, but, and that's a problem, right, girls? We know that's a problem if we can't pick our wedgie, all right? I have no shame. Sorry, TMI, someone's saying sorry. But anyway, I just keep it real. But uh, there's things about being bound by handcuffs. I could still drink water, which, by the way, I need a sip. Hold on. After that comment, I think it was fine. All right? I can do, I can say hi, honey. But come here, honey. I could say hi to you. But look how pathetic my hug to my husband's going to be. He could still kiss me, though, you know. But there's certain things that I can't do when I'm bound. I could do some things, but I can't do everything. And when you don't realize sometimes as a Christian, you could be bound, but you might not realize it. You're like, wait a second. I sense some level of freedom when I'm in church on Sunday. I can have my hands up in worship. I could do all this stuff, and I feel free. But yet I go to work on Monday, and I still have the same attitude attacking me. I still have the same mindset attacking me. I go home as soon as I put my foot in through the door. I'm, so, I'm going at it with my wife about to beat her. Five minutes later, about to tell my husband about to walk out on him. But we were just in church a few hours ago talking about the freedom we have in Jesus. Yet we walk out and sometimes we're like this. It is a tragedy how many believers, and sometimes including myself, who are talking about the freedom of Christ, but yeah, we're still so bound. What are the lies that you are believing? What are the lies that are coming around and just pestering? You're not good enough. You're never going to be healed. They're going to reject you again. 
What are the lies? <laughs> what are the lies? Stop it, or else I'll make you pick my wedgie, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anyway. I love Sunday night. Sunday night is like real and raw. We could say everything we want. Anyway, within the context of scripture, yes, I know. But anyway, church, can I just say, get the key and get set free. It's time to step into the full freedom. It is time for crying out loud. I'm sick and tired of seeing people who know the promises of God get taken out time and time again. I am sick and tired of seeing Christians who are called to be warriors look defeated. Hey, guess what? In this world, we will have trials. We will have afflictions, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Man, I love the promise that we have in Psalm. I am totally over my time pardon. Um, I love the promise that we have in Psalms. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Do you know the promises? Because if you do, it's like doing this. I hope I do it this time. It does take work. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but you got to do it. And you got to keep trying. You got to keep trying. And as the enemy lies come, and sometimes it might not be so easy. You know, sometimes people think freedom is just as much as praying, God, set me free. Well, he didn't set me free. I asked God to set me free from that. He didn't do it. I keep asking. Sometimes it takes work. Sometimes it means getting undignified before the Lord, praying and fasting. Sometimes it means making something happen. Man, it's too easy for us today. Christianity today has gotten so easy. We come in these AC rooms. Last week I heard the AC was not on in here. Sorry about that. We were in Florida. But anyway, so <laughs> we were at Disney literally on Sunday night. And so what happens is we get so comfortable to everything in grace and grace and grace is beautiful. But sometimes you got to get up and you got to fight for your faith. Sometimes Sometimes you gotta get up and you gotta fight for your freedom. Sometimes you gotta get up and fight so that you could be set free. He died to give you freedom, but you have to walk in that freedom. And sometimes it takes hard work. Sometimes if you're desperate, fast. Sometimes if you're desperate, I don't know, get the anointing oil, anoint yourself and declare those promises and keep declaring until you get the breakthrough. Where am I? I don't even know. Forget the notes for a second. Two things. Can I encourage every single person right now in your seat? And maybe some of you have a lot of lies you have to identify. And if you do, let this be a homework assignment for the rest of the week. Can you identify the lie right now? Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's a hundred. Can you right now identify what is it that the enemy is lurking around trying to devour you with? What is it that the enemy is trying to lie to you about, trying to disarm you with, trying to disable you, destroy you? What is it that he's trying to manipulate you with, lie to you about? We're royalty. We are the sons and daughters of the high God. How dare he lie to us? And how dare we believe him? How dare we, royalty, believe the stinking lies of the enemy? But how can we dare him if we don't know what his word says for us? Identify the lie. But then you declare the promise. You know, this week I did some research on the word declare. I loved it. Loved it. Declare means in the Latin, in the or, an original word, to make quite clear. You know, when Anthony and I argue, we only argue like once a year. I'm easy going, can you tell? If, <laughs> what were the chuckles? You don't think I'm easy going? What is it, the Portuguese in me or something? But occasionally when I'm arguing about how right I am, um, I say to Anthony and I make it clear, I'm right. And if he disagrees, I make it quite clear that I'm right. And there's a difference between saying, honey, I'm right. I'm just going to make it clear. 
And then when Anthony decides to tell me that I'm wrong, I have to then take it a step further and say how right I am and make it quite clear. I'm right because I told you 500 times not to park the car or the meter maid is going to come and give us another ticket for the hundredth time because our bank account tells us we have to stop paying tickets to the Rutherford town, et cetera, et cetera. And that's making it quite clear. You know what else is making it quite clear? Poor Carol, I used you three times already today. Hi, Carol, my name is Miriam Fleming. I'm a Christian. Nice to meet you. That's making it clear, my name and who I am. Or I can make it quite clear what it means to be Miriam Fleming as a Christian. Hey, Carol, my name is Miriam Fleming. My father, he's the king of kings. He's my good shepherd. He's my provider. The, the God of the universe, he created me. And he sent his son to die on the cross for me. Even if I was the only person in the world, he would do it because he thinks the world of me. You know, God, he's not angry at me. He's angry, he's, he's not mad at me, sorry. He's mad about me. You know, um, I don't have to fear because he's with me. You know, he tells me to cast all my cares upon him. He tells me that his burden is light. You know, um, yeah, I'm a mom, and actually the greatest thing in the world is knowing that God's love for me is even greater than my love for my own children. And you know that God's love for you is even greater than any love you have for music or anything else in the world. And that you might think you're a little bit different, but you know what? He made you just the way you are. Special just the way you are. Unique just the way you are. Beautiful just the way you are. Talented just the way you are. And you're weird thinking about how you don't want to lead because you think it's weird. God's called you to rise up and to stop using those excuses. And actually God has a plan for your life and the church. And God doesn't need you, but God wants wants you we have this thing that God doesn't need me that's right he doesn't but he wants you God wants you make it quite clear when the enemy tries to come and tell you something that you know is an enemy lie just let him know who you are oh devil mm, you nasty little thing you don't know who I am. Oh, I am the daughter of the King of Kings, the Almighty God. I am the Son. And, and, and you don't have to get all like, like that like girls do when they get angry and making things quite clear. If you're the gym type, you can just go and, and lift at the gym. And as he's trying to lie to you, you just be, you know, lifting or benching 300, whatever you bench. Be like, I am a son of the warrior God. I am the head and not the tail. I am called victorious. I'm going to be an amazing husband, an amazing father. My male voice is not very good, but it's okay. That's a good thing, maybe, you know. Make it quite <laughs> Make it quite clear. Make it quite clear. Declare. Declare. Make a bold statement about that lie. Isolate that lie and make a declaration and say, how dare you lie to me? How dare you lie to me? But can I teach you something else when you're declaring it? Learn how to use the most powerful name of all. Declare it in the name of Jesus. Because, you know, the reality is we only have authority in the name of Jesus. We only have power in the name of Jesus. And Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, applying the name of Jesus is like grabbing a hammer and nailing it through the head of the enemy. The name of Jesus, the name above all names. He is my provider, devil, in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of my job, not in the name of my bank account. He's my healer, not in the name of my record at the doctor's office. He's my healer because he's my healer in Jesus' name. We need to learn how to use the name of Jesus, not as a curse word like the world would do, but as a power word. We're going to do something different tonight because maybe some of you don't know where to start with the promises of God. Maybe the Bible, man, you look at it and you're like, especially my Bible, it's like mega. Um, and you're like, where do I even start? How do I even know? So I'm going to give you a head start tonight and we're going to put it on our social media. I have a list of promises. It's not all of them. I deleted a lot of them. There was like, I don't know, there's a lot of them. And you can Google it. You can, I was going to say MapQuest. Who even uses that these days? You can... Uh, Get a concordance. What? You can do however you need to do it. There's Bible apps. version has um, studies on this or whatever you need to do. But we're going to stand right now. And we're going to make it quite clear. 
we're going to make it quite clear to the enemy some promises to stand on. You guys tracking so far? I totally went over my time. Is that okay? Too bad. It wasn't. But this is what I want us to do. Because these are promises, and because this is what's going to help disarm the work of the enemy, I need you to say it like you mean it. Don't just read it like, where the Lord my God will be with me wherever I go. Man, for some of you, this is what you need. For some of you, this is the gold you need to get through tonight and tomorrow. So let's say it with passion. Like when JL killed Sisera, she did it with passion. Can we deal with our enemy with passion? Come on. And we don't have to read the address of the scripture. We could just read the, the summary of it together. Ready? Read. For the Lord my God will be with me wherever I go. God will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If I remain in him and his words remain in me, whatever I ask will be given to me. The Holy Spirit will guide me into all truth. The Holy Spirit will give me the right words when I need them. In this world, I will have trouble, but Jesus overcame the world. I have peace with God because I've been justified by faith in Jesus. I have access into his grace. There is no condemnation on me because I am in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will help me to pray. All things work together for my good. Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. My labor in the Lord is not in vain. God has created good works for me to walk in today. I am being transformed into his likeness. God won't let me be tempted beyond what I can endure. God comforts the downcast, including me. God is able to make all grace abound to me so all my needs will be met. I am worth to God more than the birds that he feeds. God will supply all my needs. God won't forsake me, nor have my children become beggars. God's grace will be sufficient for me. I will reap what I sow. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. Christ now is in me. God is faithful and will sanctify me. God will repay with trouble those who trouble me. Keep reading. If I ask for wisdom from God, he will give it to me. If I ask, God will provide it. If I resist the devil, he will take a hike. That's right. If I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. After I have suffered for a little while, he will strengthen, confirm, and establish me. A new heaven and earth await me, call the home of righteousness. He forgives and cleanses me as I confess my sins to him. God has given me eternal life. Amen. And isn't that powerful stuff? That's for you. If you are in Christ Jesus and if he is in you. And if tonight you're not sure if you're in Christ Jesus and if he is in you, you have that opportunity tonight to say, Jesus, come live in me. I want to live in you. Jesus, I want forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I want these promises to be fulfilled in my life. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have sinned. Anthony has sinned. The priest has sinned. The Pope has sinned. Every single one of us with the exception of Jesus Christ, the unblemished Lamb of God. 
And he is the only one that we can repent to. He is the only one who can become Lord and Savior. And tonight there's people in here that need to make peace with God. There's people in here who need to make peace with God because they believe the lie that God doesn't care about them. Perhaps that God is mad at them. Like Anthony always says, he's not mad at you, he's mad about you. And tonight, he wants to welcome you into his family. He loves you even though maybe you don't even know the first thing about loving God. And that's all right. We're all on this journey together. I want to talk to three, three groups of people. And the first group is if you want to close your eyes for a moment and bow your head. Maybe tonight you want to stop believing the lies that you don't need God and you don't need church and that's just for the crutches or whatever. The reality is the house of God is to build you, to, to bring you forward into the purpose of God. It's to connect you to your Savior. It's to connect you to the truth. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And this is the place to be, to flourish. But more than that, God has a plan. He created you so he can be in relationship with you. So all across this room, if tonight you want to make a decision to come home to God and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sins and I want you to be Lord of my life. I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to invite you forward. I just want to see with my eyes so I could pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's awesome. I see that hand. That's awesome. Man, it's awesome seeing men respond to God. Who else in this room? Maybe there's a woman in here that needs to come back to God. Maybe you were once following Jesus and you fell off the journey. And tonight God is calling you home and he's saying, come home, daughter. I have something bigger and better for you. Don't try to do life on your own. All across this room, 30 more seconds. If that's you, you could put your hand down once you lift it up. If that's you in here, man or woman, young or old, God is calling your name and he's saying, come home today. Come home into my protection today all across this room, if that's you. Let me just see your hand and let me see it high. That's awesome. We're gonna pray together as a church and if you raise that hand, you pray with me as we all pray. And basically this prayer is just a moment where we say, God, would you forgive us our sins? And Jesus, would you become Lord of my life? It's as simple as that. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the one step of faith that takes you on this journey. So why don't we pray together, dear Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Today I receive you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Second group of people, today we're having baptisms. And maybe you've been a Christian for one second. You just raised your hand right now. But maybe you've been a Christian for a few weeks or a few months or a few years and you've never made the decision to get baptized. You see, it's not the great suggestion. It's actually the great command to go and get baptized. It's the command that Jesus left us. And so today, sorry, I have no voice. It's my third message today. And so today, I can't even talk. Let me get some water. Hold on. Is that better? There you go. So today you have the opportunity to respond. You have the opportunity to say, you know what? I want to get baptized. It basically means going public with your faith. You see, in church we raise our hand, no one's looking. But when you go in the water of baptism, it's a public declaration of saying, I want to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. So I invite you today. We have extra shirts, extra clothes, extra towels. Take the plunge. Go visit someone here at the box office. They'll tell you what your next steps are. And if you raised your hand today, those guys that raised your hand, stop it in our box office. We want to celebrate this occasion. We want to give you a gift card to either Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or something. But don't leave here today without doing that. But the third group of people is all of us. This week, let's identify the lie. And let's make it quite clear. Those lies will not take us out any longer in Jesus' name.